This episode of the Disney Dish Podcast is sponsored by touringplans.com, where you can find trip planning tools and advice for Walt Disney World, Disneyland, and Universal Studios Orlando. Disney Dish listeners can subscribe with discount code DISH2013. That's DISH2013. To get 25% off a one-year subscription to touringplans.com. Check it out as soon as you're done listening. Thanks! Welcome back to another edition of the Unofficial Guide Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Lentesta, your host. And with me today, as always, is Jim Hill through the magic of the interwebs. Jim, how's it going? Not bad. As always, good to chat, Len. It, it is definitely good. Jim, uh, today we're going to talk about, I guess, an upcoming anniversary for Tokyo Disneyland? Yep, we're coming up on the 30th. April 15th, to be exact, is when... They kicked open the doors at the first international Disneyland, though if the Oriental Land Company had had its way, uh, they would have had it up and running as early as the mid-1960s. Really? Uh, yep. They actually initially approached the Walt Disney Company back in 1962. And, Seven years after you know, Disneyland would, had opened? And the interesting thing is that Walt, from... Basically, within the first year Disneyland was open, there were people reaching out, you know, asking Walt if he wanted to build another one on the East Coast, if he wanted to build one, you know, in Australia, South America, so on and so you, forth. You know what would work? I'm just throwing this out there. Paris. <laughs> you're right. You're right. They'll never work. Never mind. So, all right. So, so Disneyland opens up. Mm. So people and, start coming in and say, hey, we would like you to clone this. What's the, what's the reaction inside the Disney company? You know, it, it's they're flattered, but again, this is this is during the Walt era of the company, and Walt was very hands-on. And more to the point, you know, when you're talking about '62 or thereabouts, Walt's enthusiasm had changed from "let's build a family fun park" to this is during the point uh, where Walt's attention is shifting more toward futuristic city. And I remember Walt is dead by December of '66, so. You know, during the 62 point or thereabouts, he's heavily into designing stuff for the 1964 World's Fair in New York. Uh, but he's also, you know, deep into the site investigation for Walt Disney World. And, and at this point, they're still considering whether or not instead of doing a giant resort type thing, uh, Walt's exploring ideas like standalone attractions at Niagara Falls. In fact, they were having conversations with Seagram's about, depending on, on who you talk to in the company, one was that Disneyland, uh, Disney wanted to build an, a, a, you know, a version of Flight to the Moon at uh, because, of course, people were going to Niagara Falls for their honeymoon. Uh. So. But the, the, on the other hand, there's there's other folks who will tell you that it was more about taking the Circle Vision 360 and doing a, a film about the falls in the surrounding area and, you know, doing that as an attraction. And at the same time, he's having conversations with that crazy billionaire who co-owns so much of RCA about building a, a city uh, with a theme park down in Palm Beach. There's a lot of stuff going on. So, so when the Oriental Land Company came in and they had this old rail yard dump area that they wanted to put a park in, it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll put you in the pile of you know hundreds of people who want our attention. But Oriental Land Company, they were very persistent. They kept coming back and they kept coming back and they kept coming back. And, you know, Walt dies in 66. You have Walt Disney World Resort opens in 71. Mm -hmm. And now the Disney company, you jump headed about four or five years. Mid-70s. 
mid 70s and the disney company realizes that you know they've signed these deals with the state of florida uh, you know that that about the resort and it all sort of keys off of the fact that they're going to build epcot they're going to build this city they're going to build you know this you know which has factories and jobs and and you know disney <sighs> is still recovering from the hit that they took. Uh, you know, remember, Disney the World opens in 71. In 73, we have the Arab oil embargo, mm-hmm. and attendance drops at the resort. And it really shook Disney. You know, just sort of like, wow, I, you know, that we didn't know we were that vulnerable to something as fluky as oil prices. Yeah, well, more and, specifically, their, their entire theme park revenue at this point is is entirely dependent on the American leisure market, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. And then the, right. If people can travel there, and so you know, it just. But at the same time, that the, the drumbeat begins. Where's Epcot? Where's Epcot? Where's Epcot? And it's like, how are we going to pay for this? Because you know, don't get me wrong. Disney World is making money, and um, but you know, this is also during a period where you know, the, <laughs> Disney Studios can't make a hit film to save its life. It's it's all Apple Dumpling Gang or the Shaggy DA. There's a there's a tribute to the Apple Dumpling Gang in the new Big Thunder. So I, I, I heard about this. I, I consider it a success. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the movie lives on in our memory. What? <laughs> That's true. You know, just I, I so look forward to that Apple Dumpling Gang convention. So <laughs> exactly. Yes. Hang out in that function room, and you know, I think, you, I think we should do cosplay. You know, there you know. we go. <laughs> you can be Amos. All right. Anyway. All right. Anyway. So okay. So Disney's looking at this, going, "We need some money, and also we're very dependent on uh, on the on the U.S. leisure market. We need to diversify." There we go, and, and it, voila, it, as they say, so it's 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 a twofer. Here's the Oriental Land Company that is, you know, wants to build this park, and here's Disney needing a significant, you know, amount of money to do, go forward with Epcot, and so it's a peanut butter and chocolate moment. It's like okay, so so at, at in, this point though, at this point, like ten or fifteen years had passed between the time that the Oriental Land Company first proposed. Something you know, in, in like let's say the early '60s, and then it's like yep. the mid '70s. Is it the same people at the Oriental Land Company? Uh yeah. In fact, that's that's and this then became a very much of an education process with Disney because, in fact, um, I, I remember talking with John Hench about this. That um, you know that when it became time to do the actual negotiations, they had this kind of embarrassing conversation where it's like. Where are old Imagineers? You know, where where are somewhat gray-haired people? Because again, it's like the they found that when they these Japanese business executives, gentlemen in their their late fifties, early sixties, were in a room full of crazy twenty and thirty-year-olds, you know, who were pitching rides and that sort of thing, the meeting didn't go all that well. They they didn't take what the younger people were say was saying or were trying to sell them seriously. Yeah, there's a whole cultural thing, right? Yeah. That's it exactly. So yeah. but they found that if they, they took a John Hench or, or somebody like that who had a little more gray hair and spoke a little bit more slowly and, and that sort of thing, they could close the deal that much faster. But again, even when and again remember this is you know, again, the Oriental Land Company pursued Disney's in '62, but when it came, started '75, '76, when they started getting serious about this and exploring you know, different ideas, suddenly the negotiation began to slow down because now it's a Japanese negotiation, and right. you know, it, it's it's formal business meetings and pitches and let us go off and consider this for six weeks and get back to you, and it it took them till '79 
um, you know, four years to finally close this deal. And even then it was, you know, that I know guys who worked in the project and just what was fascinating is that they would design new things for the Japanese and the Japanese would come back and say, no, we want that we want, you know, for example, they'd point to Cinderella Castle and said, we want that. It's like, well, you know, but we could give you your own special castle. We could, no, we want that. And it then became kind of difficult because, for example, you know, the Japanese would come stateside and walk, you know, visit Disneyland and Disney World and say, okay, we want Disney World's castle, but we want Disneyland's version of um, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so how do we fit that in? And in fact, um, it, it's interesting that uh, that's been an issue, a problem since day one with Pirates of the Caribbean for, for Tokyo, because the Oriental Land ex- ex- insisted on the exact building front that it has in California. Uh, Pirates in, in Tokyo has never done the business that you know the any of the uh, the stateside versions of the attraction does because really well uh, frankly the outside of the building doesn't say doesn't communicate pirates it's like okay interesting looking building and people breeze you know the Japanese breeze like right by it, it oh, was, it's, the, it's the Monsters Inc problem in uh, in Tomorrowland that's yeah. exactly there's just you know nothing about this Federalist building that says by the way there's a boat right in there you go down a waterfall you battle with pirates it's famous you know, you'll love it yeah yeah get in you know and huh. But that was the thing that that was the the, the challenge. And in fact, uh, jumping ahead a little bit with their history, when it came time, um, you know, and Tokyo Disneyland was a success right out of the box. I mean, it was, and in fact, um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where the Disneyland and Disney where people just stand back and just envy both the at- the attendance levels, or, or more to the point, the retail. That the there's a whole sector of, of the Japanese public that in a house they're referred to as the Japanese shop girls, the secretaries, that sort of thing. These are the, the young women who come to the park, uh, who come once a week, you know, they buy the annual pass, but they, they, they come to shop. Really? Uh, in fact, I mean, if you look, if you're, let's put it this way. If you're not a fan of Duffy the bear, at the Disney theme parks, you have nobody to blame but the Japanese, young Japanese. <laughs> young Japanese women. Good yeah. to know. Because they, you know, when Duffy was introduced to the park, it became, that park, it became a sensation. And they found that they could sell, you know, different holiday Duffies. They could sell outfits for Duffies. And these, these girls just could not get enough of Duffy. Sure, it's their so, Build-A-Bear. Yeah. So, you know, and that was the thing of, well, let's bring it stateside and, um, let's remember the first attempt at rolling Duffy out at, at you know, at, at uh, California Adventure and the, at Disney was a, a colossal flop. They had to come back and, you know, try to make this character that much more accessible for the American public. But, um, but yeah, that, that it just, the financial model for that park, uh, right off the bat, just sort of floored Disney. And in fact, it was Eisner spent many days grumbling and growling about how because the Japanese had ground Disney down so badly during the four year long negotiation, the financial terms wound up being so so in the Japanese's favor because Disney was 
over a barrel needing the money to proceed with Epcot. That Disney, for example, only gets only got ten cents on every admission. You know, every dollar spent on admission going into the park. Really, ten percent? That's terrible. And fifteen percent of retail. Wow. Um, but at the same time, Disney thought, well, if this doesn't succeed, you know, we want to. You know, they wanted the big upfront cash payment. Oh, uh, so that's what they got. So they got upfront cash on it. Yeah. Okay. And, but in the end, it just it was one of these situations where it turned out to be such a success from the get-go. In fact, honestly, when you you drill down to the deal for Euro Disney, when you drill down into the Shanghai and and the Hong Kong deal, uh, the terms for those parks are a, a direct result of the the fact that Eisner and the folks that followed felt that, that Disney got hosed. Uh, for Tokyo, but but the, again, the the card walkers of the world, they weren't, you know, they just wanted to sort of make it, send it over there, let them run it. I mean, and, and of course, the irony is that they trained the Japanese how to run the Disney theme parks, but they trained them in the style of Disney of the 1970s, which they embraced like a religion. <laughs> so- in, in fact. You know, that's if you go over now to. I mean, you've been to the the the, the two Japanese parks, correct? I've not. I've not been. Oh. We were we were going to go the year of the uh, the earthquake in uh, uh, nuclear leak, and so it's it's hard to convince. Uh, <laughs> it's it's hard to convince Hannah's mom to to let, let the fourteen year old go over there. I cannot understand why, but, uh, but yeah, that's strange. But no, it's it's this beautiful. Beautifully maintained park that is pristinely clean and with, you know, with cast members who are just, you know, so protective of their attractions that, uh, you know, those who come over and then go to a, a stateside park are like, wait a minute. This you know? Filth? What is this? Yeah. They were, uh, we're looking to go for maybe, the, maybe this year if, if it gets low. So, so let's, let's go back to right before the opening or, or even before the opening because it opened in 83, right? Yeah. So they're doing these negotiations in the late 70s. What what sort of lands do do the Japanese want, and more specifically, what what sort of cultural changes do they have to make to the attractions for opening day? I mean, are they do we still have like you know uh, Americans running around in the frontier, like you know, like in, in in Paris, right? The French are are obsessed with the American West. What what are sort of the things that are the same? What are the things that are different on opening day with uh, with Tokyo Disneyland? Well, you know, for one, given that this was going to be built down by Tokyo Bay, they believed right off the bat that, you know, their entrance complex uh, was going to have to be different. And there was, in fact, one fascinating kind of iteration of it where basically the entrance of the park was kind of a larger, flatter version of the Contemporary Hotel. I mean, you you walked into this giant A-frame sort of space. Um, I totally, and, I totally see that in Japan. Okay, yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. but that was the thing. They, they they showed it to the Oriental Land Company executives. It's like, no, we want Main Street. You know, I mean, we don't. We, we um, get some wonderful design, but we want Main Street. And so Disney figured, well, all right. So we do Main Street only. We do Main Street by way of the Crystal Palace from the the Great London Exposition. So you have you know the, these you know these streets that are covered with a, a giant sort of lattice of glass and and metal, and it's 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 you know, it's kind of clunky, you know, but on the other hand, it does its job. It keeps you out of the weather. It mm-hmm. keeps you, you know, and you still have your, your beauty shot of standing on Main Street looking at the castle in the distance. Um, but um, and at the same time, it, would, it was always fascinating to watch how Disney kept trying 
to sort of shoehorn, you know, to, to bend the Japanese to their will. I mean, or for example, of course, as part of this negotiation, Disney was looking for somebody to step up and sponsor the Japanese pavilion for Epcot. And, and they did, you know, you know, sort of backdoor deals for that. But one of the ways they convinced the people to do that is like, okay, we'll take the money that we're going to spend to develop a Japanese-centric attraction for uh, for Epcot, and we'll we'll put that same attraction in, uh, you know, the sort of the Tomorrowland section, and this was the the Meet the World attraction, which was kind of a Carousel of Progress take on the history of Japan. Which uh, was, in fact, you know, that's the interesting thing. If you go backstage at Epcot, uh, behind the Japanese pavilion, there's this giant building just behind that sort of gallery space. Uh, yeah, it's where, huge. It is. Yeah. It is because that's where this attraction was supposed to go, and it was only in, you know, the latter. You know, in fact, it, it got bumped to, out the that attraction to sort of phase two of Epcot, and then ultimately never got built because. Um, once they opened uh, Tokyo Disneyland and Americans began to get over and do the Meet the World attraction, they would get off it, and it's like, it's very attractive, and I enjoy the talking stork, but kind of interesting how you stepped around the whole World War II thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You'll notice on uh, the American Adventure, that's exactly where uh, FDR's speech cuts off when you start naming the uh, the people that were uh, uh, on the other side of World War II. There you, yeah. go. there you go. No, and in fact, that's again, you know, that the kind of interesting that, in fact, it was the Japanese as part of the the Epcot negotiation that insisted, well, all right, if we're going into Epcot, we need to be next to America, you know. So it's you can't even think Awkward. about word. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> so yeah. now the now the the history of the 20th century goes uh, invention of the automobile, uh, stock market crash, Great Depression, Elvis. There we yeah, go. There's, there's this whole section keep moving, of keep moving. Yeah, nothing, nothing to see here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, that, that that in the end they realized that opening an attraction that kind of steps over World War II yeah. in a place where all of our World War II veterans have gone to retire probably not a good idea. So that never got built. But so yeah, they, they. So in Tokyo Disneyland, did they did they do anything different with the theming of like Main Street? Obviously, is I guess it's the American Main Street. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it, turn of the century in America. In fact, you know that 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 persisted uh, all the way through to Shanghai. Wow! And, you know, and in fact, uh, Shanghai is going to be the first park that deliberately steps away from any um, uh, Western areas, so whether it's Main Street USA or it's uh, Frontierland. That you know, the um, in fact, it's been kind of interesting to watch with. With Shanghai, how, or excuse me, uh, with Hong Kong, how that park deliberately didn't open with a, a an American West themed section, but as part of their their most recent expansion, we suddenly have Grizzly Gulch, which is you know finally here's the American West. There you go. So um, anyway, back to, to Tokyo Disneyland. So, so, so Tokyo had they had a Main Street. Did they have an Adventureland? Um, yes, it, you know, but at the same time, it's it gets kind of interesting because face it. This is, you know, you're you're opening this park in 83, um, and by the time uh, this happens, so many of the Disney rides have been ripped off by other amusement parks and theme parks around the world. You know, when they they did the Jungle Cruise, you know, a lot of the Japanese, you know, kind of just made fun of it because 
it's like, geez, it's like a ripoff of, of Mara land. Um, which, <laughs> that's great. You know, in fact, um, that's, you know, that, in fact, that, that's one of the, the more bizarre parts of the story is that there was one of the reasons this took as long as it did is there was a park called Nara dreamland, uh, that, that opened in 61, in uh in japan and <laughs> this was so obviously a ripoff of 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 disneyland i mean it was just like their castle their frontier land i mean if you you trust me if, if you go and google nara dreamland they don't even they didn't even pretend i mean you enter the park by going by the disneyland train station it's an exact <laughs> replica of the disneyland train station and then you walk down and knock off of main street usa and there's a castle at the end of their main street you know the the concept of intellectual property back in the 60s was not yet fully formed jim oh <laughs> this was so naked i mean it's like again next to the castle next to the castle is this you know this knockoff of you know about a third of the size of the Matterhorn. I mean, it just, it just is so there, you know, and, and that was one of the things that Disney was very concerned about. It's like, well, why, you know, how are we going to protect ourselves intellectually here? Um, and, you know, the, the, our, our, our rights and eventually Oriental Land Company is like, look, you're just going to have to trust us that, and as it turns out, it was a good call. I, you know, that they've, you know, um, though it, it's it's been an interesting relationship when when they decided that they wanted to do the park next door. Uh, this was kind uh, of this was finally Michael Eisner was in charge, and you know, so we're talking about you know, and the thing that Disney had just opened at that point was Disney MGM Studios, mm-hmm. and so he you know he, they went they spent upwards of fifty or sixty million dollars developing a studio park that would go right next door to um uh, you know, Tokyo? To, to Tokyo Disneyland and you know made the pitch made the presentation and the again the Oriental Land stuff executives were this is very nice we appreciate this we're not building this um cuz their belief was that um i the japanese people are not all that interested in how movies are made and sure. and you know and it's kind of interesting cuz that that's kind of an issue that Universal Studios Osaka has come up against that you know they had to go back in and sort of retool that park as well to um, sort of step away from the stuff that talks about the process and just entertain. But then when it came time to do Tokyo Disney Seas, what they they kept getting the vibe in every meeting that they just basically want us to make Tokyo Disneyland again. So you Tokyo. Know. So how did the idea of a seas based park? Well, well, you know that that. That sort of, you know, and again, it was that they came back to the Japanese and said, look, you're an island. <laughs> you know, it's like okay. you're surrounded by water. So, you know, that, that you know, it's in your, 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 your nation's DNA to look to the sea for adventure and, you know, and for, for food. And, and, you know, why don't we do a park that celebrates that? But at the same time, make it. <laughs> There's a whaling exhibit. No, wait, no, there's not. No, there's not. Because <laughs> that would be wrong, Jim, wrong. <laughs> Here's your little stick. Go beat that dolphin. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, oh, but God. It, it became this weird that they would, they would have these conversations with the Japanese about, all right, 
you want a you want this park to have a small world type ride because that's very popular at your park. It's like okay, well here's our Sinbad ride. It uses boats. It has teeny tiny half size figures uh, in multi dimensional sets and you know themed for around the, and it would that's how they had to go through the entire park selling individual pieces as this is that over at Tokyo Disneyland. Um, you know, for example, Mount Prometheus, you know, they sell them, sold them on the point. It's like, look, it's the castle. All right. You know, it just, it's, it's made of concrete. It's large. It comes to a point at the top, you know, <laughs> and we do fireworks over it. It has all the characteristics of a castle. Yeah. And that's, you know, it was one of these things where the guys who worked in the project said it was the most bizarre negotiation. Cause it was like, they wouldn't, he say that we want Disneyland, Tokyo Disneyland again, they would just, you know, you'd have this meeting where you talk in circles around what yeah. it was, and then eventually have to sell them on this point. It's like, all right, it, it's the same, only different. And, and, and of course, the irony of that is, if you, you know your Disney history, what ends up happening is that the icon for this park, in fact, you could, there's one of the very last photos that was taken of Frank Wells before his, you know, his, his tragic death is Frank in front of, you know, the model for Tokyo Disney Seas, where the icon for that park was the lighthouse at Alexandria. Right. Which, of course... Yeah, ended up at the Universal Studios, but whatever. It's, you know. That happened. Uh, you know. <laughs> so they... So they they Along with um, Tokyo Disney Seas and Tokyo Disneyland, I've heard that the hotels over in uh, in Tokyo are some of the most amazing hotels in any Disney property anywhere. What how do, how do those get built? Does does the the Oriental Land company own those as well or do they bring somebody in? No, no, no. That, that that's, you know, um that was one of the more interesting aspects of the project. In fact, that that's um that was one of the only successes um right off the bat from uh if you remember the opening of Disneyland Paris, that you came under the the Disneyland uh, hotel, the, the which Europe. is it's it's a beautiful hotel. It's it's on a much smaller scale than the uh, the U.S. hotels, and it's sort of like a Grand Floridian sort of feel to it. The other thing is is that it's it, it, it's it's something for me to say this. I think it's expensive, Jim. I think it's expensive. So God, if I think it's expensive. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I I actually haven't stayed at that hotel because it's so expensive. Think about that. Jeez. I know, right? The uh but the so so, so the uh, Oriental Land Company decides to do a couple of were, were hotels always part of the original mix even from opening day or was it something that they well, added on? You know, the, the, the part of the problem was that Oriental Land Company there were hotels on the periphery of the property, but they didn't own them outright. There were Hiltons and you know that sort of thing. Sure. And it just, and it just again, at this point this is the the Eisner era version of the Disney company where, you know, they're making, you know, significant amounts of money off of the hotels. And, sure. you know, they, they go to the Oriental Land executive, executives like, look, you should have some hotels of your own. More to the point, you should have, you know, look at what we're making. And, and remember that one of the reasons they can make as much money as they do off of the Disneyland Paris Hotel is that it straddles the entrance of the park. In yeah. fact, people who pay, you know, premium 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 for that view of looking into the kingdom at night yeah um and that was the notion of well why do you know paris makes all this money off of one hotel that straddles its entrance 
why don't you have two? And and literally, these are now the bookends that you enter that park through. That you're going to have your Venetian theme to one side, and I want to say it's uh, Renaissance Restoration on the other. Um, but yeah, it, that that and and with you know that that borrow whole blocks of the New York section that you can look down to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very cleverly themed, but they again understanding that the the Japanese are. In fact, this is kind of a sad part of the story, um, at least from a stateside point of view, is that because of the cultural differences, um, they can do things in the queues and attractions at in Tokyo that just they can't do stateside. They can do propping that stops within six inches of the actual queue because the Japanese have been taught to be that much more respectful of other people's property and that sort of thing. So they're not... Wow. Oh, so it's, it's much closer then? Yeah. So factoring that into the hotels, there's there's painting and propping and design a level that you'll never see in a stateside park because, again, you know, we're Americans. We reach out and go, what does that do? You know, and it just, you know, oh, it came off in my hand. Um, and, you know... It's, again, one of these things where when the Oriental Land Company decided they were going to spend $3 billion on this, they insisted that the $3 billion be all up front at places where people could see it. There wasn't back-the-house stuff. And it's it's a stunning park. It's a stunning resort. Um, And it's been kind of interesting now to watch, uh, you know, when attractions travel over there, whether it's a a Tower of Terror, where, you know, it, it, I remember talking with members of the design team and one of, you know, the, the Japanese, you know, the Orient Land executives came over. And, oh, we love this ride. It's like, okay, cool. We're going to bring it over. And it's like, by the way, who's this Rod Serling guy? <laughs> There's some sort of like, was he still alive? Could we meet him? Yeah, it's just like they had no idea who, you know, the Twilight Zone hadn't traveled. Twilight Zone wasn't known by the Japanese people. So they had to come up with this, you know, this sort of backstory of, of you know, the, the the explorer who brings back the artifact that now possesses the hotel. And, in fact, um, <laughs> another funny little bend on the story that Joe Rohde, the, the, the imaginator who designed Animal Kingdom and the Adventures Club and that sort of thing, was used as the uh, the, the prototype for the eccentric billionaire adventurer. The, the, he was posed for the, the various paintings and all that. Mm-hmm. And what Joe has begun to notice is, is he'll be in the hallways at uh, Imagineering, and they'll be bringing you know various Japanese people through to discuss new projects and that sort of thing. And they'll see Joe and say, "Oh, oh my God, it's Harrison Hightower!" <laughs> <laughs> and you know, suddenly Joe's in the hallway having to get his photo taken, taken. <laughs> with all these excited you know Japanese executives because like, oh I didn't know there was a real Harrison Hightower and it's like oh my god you know, my kids are going to be thrilled <laughs> uh, but yeah it's it's um I mean you know the, 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 there's lots of little fun stories associated with with uh, you know the, this this whole project whether it's for example uh again cuz Disney was trying to save money on its side when they were uh putting the first Tokyo Disneyland together and sure. they, they they realized uh they could either you know in fact one of the things the Japanese insisted on right off the bat is they wanted a copy of the Mickey Mouse review 
uh, the the attract the original. <sighs> oh, yeah, from Fantasyland. Yeah, and it was just one of these things where Disney was sort of staring down the barrel of, you know, we have all these expenses for uh, building Epcot, and we're not going to have to spend all this money to build, you know, a whole second set of audio animatronic figures, and it's ah, screw it, shut down our version and send it over there. And that's it's it's literally it was that cold blooded. It's just I don't want to spend that money, particularly with, with you know, staring down the barrel of completing Epcot in time for October '82. So pull that out and send that to Japan. Wow. But but here's the the thing that they 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 had swapped the entrance and exit for the building, and so instead of going in from the left and being loaded into the theater, and yeah. then or, or excuse me, going into the right, going to the theater, and then exiting to the right, you were entering from the left. But what they did was they sent over the exact same ride film uh, or the introductory cue movie that they used in sort of the hold area before they sent you into the theater for. Oh, um, it shows everybody moving in the wrong direction. <laughs> it's like, hey, here's your pre-show movie. Now leave. <laughs> Mickey's like, come on, everybody. We're going to go in the theater. And the Japanese dutifully lined up and face the wall. And it's just sort of like, <laughs> like no, 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 turn around, come in here. Uh, it's, it's, Mickey's confused. You know. Um, yeah, they, I mean. They probably have just, to splice the film and flip Mickey around. Well, you know, it, there are all these things you don't learn until you open. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, no but yeah, it's it's a it's a charming park, and in fact, it's 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 you know can, it's about to mutate in a huge way. Uh, the, the the Japanese made a tour of um, everything that Disney had been doing over the past six months or so. They you know they they went out to California and did Cars Land. They came to Florida and have been walking around um, the the new Fantasyland expansion mm-hmm. and. Right now, it looks like, again, they're being the Japanese. They're cherry-picking what they want. They've decided they want Cars Land. So, basically, uh, they're, you know, and in fact, it, it kind, it's kind of interesting because it's kind of a foreshadowing thing to, for what's eventually going to happen at the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. Um, they, because they're, they're, you know, they're, they're locked in by the harbor, they need to create space for this new 12 acre area that's going to be built in so what they've decided to do is they're going to drain their you know the rivers of america that go through western land over there really Uh, yep and pull out the riverboat and that's where um that's where cars land is going to be built it's got the same sort of color palette and the same sort of rock structure i totally see that yep yep and wow um, but still wow well i mean what what are you going to do i mean that's but at the same time, I mean, that's, you know, if you talk with folks about um, future plans for the Magic Kingdom at, uh, at Walt Disney World, uh, let's face it, you know, the, the, for example, the work that was just done for New Fantasyland, you, you bump the borders of that land back as far as they can go, that they're up against the railroad track. And heading, looking into the future, if you're looking to expand that park, uh, you know, there's there's one primo piece of real estate that, frankly, gonna get. You know, if you think about how few people per hour can experience the the, the Mark Twain, the 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 riverboat there. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, what's the capacity? A couple hundred. Yeah. So, so maybe a few thousand, maybe a thousand an hour. Yeah. So now couple that with you know, think about if you threw a land or lands back there what you could do for think about it in the what is it the 
didn't they say something to the effect of New Fantasy Land allowed them to bump the numbers for for the capacity for that park by five thousand? Is that right? Or I I know that the that you know that's an hour that I heard about you know what it, that added for additional capacity to the park. So if you you think about wow, you could do um, back in uh, Rivers of America thereabouts. Um, but again, understand this is the fifty-year plan, not the you know we're going to do this next week. Um, I can you know, that that's it's always a little interesting when you get to the Disney parks. Um, you know, it, it, you're you're treading on somebody's family memories. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it, it's it's funny just hearing <laughs> the people who complain about the you know pulling out the Skyway station that had been used in decades. Uh, to put in the new console theme bathroom, <laughs> we can we can go pee where we once made uh, family memories. This is amazing. That's right. That's right. That's right. Wipe your hands, kids. <laughs> Grandma loved this place. Wipe your hands. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just it's it was uh, again. It, it's just it's a Tokyo Disneyland occupies such an interesting space in Disney company history again. You know, there'll never be a first international, you know, Disneyland Parking. ever again. You know, they they were the first out of the gate and Disney learned a lot of interesting lessons on that project and um and they continue to apply those lessons as that they march out around the world. And you know, the the whole notion of you have to sort of fine tune your park uh to be, you know, the, to to be respectful of what you know, foreign expectations are, you know, what they want, you know, that they want Disney, but they want Disney their way. Uh, and, and with the Japanese, it's, it's always been interesting to, to watch the mutations, whether it's, you know, Marie, the little white cat from, um, the Aristocats becoming a character that's hugely in demand that, that, you know, I mean, yeah, you mentioned that. I can't, I can't figure that out for the life of me. I mean, but try and figure figuring out why, uh, Certain characters become popular with Japanese is is, is is a difficult thing to do. Absolutely, absolutely. But but on the other hand, it's like when they see that opportunity, they go. Sure. So, have you been over to the parks? Not yet. That yet. In fact, I'm, I'm eyeballing. You know, that just. I, and in fact, I, I, again, we need to talk about this. That, that when Shanghai opens in 2015 2016 i think touring plans should do something ambitious and you know look at you know there's a there's a lot of us who have been meaning to get to all of the parks and you know the or at least the international parks and it might be worth sort of eyeballing you know whether a bunch of the us world should... tour jim the world tour you know actually and... tokyo to uh we looked at tokyo to hong kong and that's actually an eight-hour flight because mm-hmm. um, so, so we looked at when we looked at it before the uh, before the earthquake, mm-hmm. uh, you know, getting getting to Tokyo not not that big of a deal. And the hotels are the hotels, by the way, are pretty interesting. They have many more themed rooms than yep. uh, than than World does. But uh, we looked at you know doing that and then going to do Hong Kong. But it was it was again it was an eight hour flight. Essentially, you're you know an entire day of travel plus all the other time of travel to get there. But it was uh, yeah, definitely look at it. I think that'd be fun. Twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen. Well, again, just be aware that that's in house. You know, in fact, that I, I think that's part of why Iger is talking about extending because everything I've heard is that Shanghai's opening date, which was now in the latter point of two thousand fifteen, seems to be sliding into two thousand sixteen. 
Oh, and he wants to be around for that? Or is he some, well, some sort of contractual thing that uh, he gets uh, a bonus if it opens? No, I, I think, you know, it, it's... Oh, it's his park. It's his legacy. Yeah. So yeah I got it. Okay. It, it wants to be there for it. But, yeah, I, I just... I, I think it would be fascinating to, you know, particularly to make that trip to compare how all of the international parks, you know, have their own subtle ways of dealing with the local culture. So. I think that's a that's a great idea. Let's uh, let's start talking about that uh, a little bit more. Have you been to Disneyland Paris yet? Again, on the list. So, um, uh, right. well, we're doing a cruise. I don't know. We we haven't announced this yet, but uh, Jim and I are doing a cruise in September. We'll be talking about the DCL. So, uh, so maybe we uh, maybe we. We can commandeer the ship and make it as far as Gibraltar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I can't wait till this is played back at our trial as evidence. There we go. There we go. All right. Well, well, anyway. I didn't say anything. All right. Well, anyway, they've been listening to another episode of the uh, the Unofficial Guide Disney Dish Podcast with uh, with Gmail. For Jim, this is Len. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Please rate us on iTunes. Let us know what you guys would uh, like to hear on, uh, on upcoming episodes, especially ones that don't land us in jail. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show. Take care.